about to listen to an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. The purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. It is not to be confused with a legal investigation. Opinions expressed are solely those of the participants. The following contains adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, so why another update? I obtained new information uh, since we last spoke. Some was from people who knew Molly Miller and wanted to share that information with me, while others were people that I had approached. I always said that I would share new relevant information as it became available, so here we are again, Mike. And what exactly did you learn? First of all, I reached out to some people with background in law enforcement. They ranged in age from people in their 30s to one man in his 70s. The one thing I heard over and over again was that the house Molly Miller shared with Anson Parker should have been treated as a crime scene and searched from top to bottom as soon as she was declared missing. That's fairly standard procedure. Furthermore, I reported based on property records that the house was 1,029 square feet. Well, as it turns out, there was actually less living space uh, than that at the time that Molly disappeared. The upstairs was not being used. There were plans to renovate it. Also, there was more than a passing curiosity as to where Molly's dog, Luca, was while she uh, went missing, when she went missing. Molly's maternal aunt was the first person I spoke to that raised this question, but it appears that no one could recall seeing Luca while Molly was missing. Later on, after she was found, the dog did reappear, and it seems that he is currently living uh, with Mr. Parker. One person I spoke to uh, spent time around Luca and said that he was a mutt and and he appeared to have some sort of tracker breed in him. And Luca was very good at tracking. Indeed, uh, this person said the dog was able to track them after just a very short period of time of being around uh, him. Now, Luca was neutered the week that Molly went missing. I checked that out, and he was picked up on Thursday. That was the day before she disappeared. And lastly, I can confirm that the bedroom closet that Molly was discovered in was the bedroom that she shared with Anson Parker. So why did you leave this out of earlier episodes? I left out the uh, information about the bedroom because I wasn't 100% sure. I found out the other stuff later. I really want it to be as accurate as possible, and it took some time to find the name of the vet's office where Molly took her dog. Uh, There's a lot of vets in this town. And uh, getting back to the bedroom information, Edward Thomas claimed that the bedroom was Molly's bedroom, that she and uh, Parker hadn't shared a bedroom for some time. And that turned out not to be accurate. Based on the accounts of people who knew the couple and were in that house weeks, if not days before she disappeared, it was very much the couple's bedroom. And was there anything else about the relationship that you learned? Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, It appears that I was correct when I said that the couple never appeared to set a wedding date. Uh, Now, it seems that Molly very much wanted to get married based on comments she made to others and had even obtained at least two wedding dresses from the time the engagement was announced in 2011. But by the time she died, six years had passed with no wedding date. According to one source, a large reason why they never got married was because of finances or mainly Molly's lack of income from either a job or disability. Some of her family members thought she received disability because of her endometriosis, but 
that wasn't the case. She reportedly told a friend that she applied for disability, but it was turned down. And I looked into it, and it didn't appear that she had income in the form of a trust or family assistance. So it seems that she was financially dependent on Anson Parker, as well as Edward Thomas, and at least one other man she was involved with. Um, as I mentioned, Edward Thomas appeared to pay for most of her uh, monthly kratom uh, supply, which was over $300 a month. And the other man was said to pay for car maintenance and also took her on a trip to Spain in 2015. And did you find out any more about the various relationships? Yes. And just to back up, one of the first things I asked Edward Thomas when I first interviewed him was if Molly was in an open relationship. He said yes. And that, quote, everybody knew, end quote. Well, no, as it turns out, that wasn't the case. I actually couldn't find a single person who could say that Molly told them that she was in an open relationship. And just to be fair, I'm not targeting Edward Thomas in this. Another person who knew Molly, Shelley, the woman I mentioned in episode one, knew about her relationship with Edward and at least one other man uh, thought that Molly must have been in an open relationship. But when asked point blank, the woman said that no, Molly never said she had an open relationship uh, with Parker. And interestingly, based on interviews with three other people who were friends of both Molly and uh, Anson Parkers, they denied that the couple had an open relationship. Indeed, it appeared that uh, Mr. Parker might have thought Edward Thomas was gay, and he was quite clear to his friends that he wasn't interested in non-monogamous relationships. It didn't appear that he had any judgments of those in alternative relationships, just that they weren't his cup of tea. Also, another point of interest is that several people claimed Molly was quite jealous of some platonic relationships that uh, Mr. Parker had with female friends, or at least it bothered her to the point that she mentioned it to uh, these people and others. And what else did you find of an interesting nature? Well, one thing that was very surprising to me is that Molly Miller told people about those infamous parties that took place at Edward Thomas's house. Um, supposedly, she claimed she was invited to attend one and was greatly offended by that. Now, we know she did attend uh at least one of these parties. Actually, we know she attended more than one of them. But um, she made it a point to not only bring them up, but to say that she had zero interest in ever attending them. Indeed, uh, based on what I heard, it sounded like she had a very negative opinion of these parties and even the people that were going to them. That was very shocking to me. And speaking of Edward Thomas, you interviewed him in episode two? Uh, yeah, that's correct. And is there anything that you wished you had asked him at that time? Oh, boy. Well, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. And, you know, looking back, I wish that I had approached the interview differently than I did. Uh, I think one of my main criticisms of myself is that I was too accepting of the claim that he was one of the people that knew her best. Uh, yes, he and Molly were friends, but there was a lot about her that he didn't know. For instance, he never even knew that she attended UVA until she posted a video on YouTube. And you think that would have come up in the years that they knew each other before she posted that video. Let's see, by that point, they had known each other for at least uh, two years. 
And, I mean, you think he would have asked her why she had come to Charlottesville since she wasn't from here. And also, he is a UVA alumnus, and the university is within walking distance of their neighborhood. It's pretty much uh, unavoidable. Uh, But, however, getting back to that specific interview, one thing that struck me was when he said he was eager to talk to the police when they showed up at his house. But then when he spoke to them, he didn't share a number of things that investigators might have found significant. And just to um, reference that again, this is when Molly was still missing. This was before uh, she was discovered uh, dead in the closet. Edward didn't want to be recorded again, but he did agree to answer some questions that I had. And one of those was, why didn't he tell the police that she had other intimate partners besides himself and besides um, Anson Parker? And he said, quote, when the police questioned me at my house before she had been found, they didn't ask me about possible other sexual partners, end quote. Uh, He claimed later on that after she had been found dead, he thought it might be significant, but, quote, the police refused to listen to me anymore, end quote. Uh, He didn't go on to say why they would not listen to him anymore. Um, He also had a similar response when I asked him why he didn't mention the man who was present at his house knew Molly and could have confirmed that her circle of um, friends included more than four people. And again, I got this reply, quote, they, meaning the police, were doing the questioning and did not question me about him or him directly, even though he was on the premises, end quote. And uh, what did you make of that? Well, when I read that, it didn't sound like someone who wanted to talk to the police. Uh, Rather, it sounded like someone who was being questioned by the police and was cooperating, but not giving them any more than what they were asking for. And that's not a criticism on my part. I doubt that most people want to be questioned by the police for anything, much less over a disappearance. That was a common theme that I found in her friends. Other people had information that may have been of interest to the police while Molly was missing, but they either didn't want to get involved or they didn't want to be associated in any way with some of the people she knew or some of the activities that some of the people in that circle participated in. I did have two people say to me in retrospect that they wish they had gone to the police, but by the time they wanted to, the investigation had been shut down. I did talk to one woman who had been friends with Molly, but hadn't seen her for close to a year before she died, who claimed that she did call the police while Molly was missing because she thought she had some relevant info, but her call was never returned. Uh, For what it's worth, I believe this woman because she had no reason to lie about that. But so far, she's the only one I know of who did that. I heard a former friend of Molly also called the police and never got a call, but I was unable to verify that. In fact, I was unable to even speak to that woman. So there's only one that I know of. And before I forget, there was one other revelation that came up following uh, those questions that I asked. Shortly before her death, Molly came to Edward Thomas and tried to sell him two old laboratory tables for um, $5,000. Apparently, she salvaged them from a dumpster at the University of Virginia. Edward knew they weren't worth anything close to that and said no. He then asked her why she needed $5,000, and he never got a response. Again, Edward never mentioned this in his interview uh, with the police. Uh, Per him, it never occurred to him to share this with the police. However, he did claim that he mentioned to the police she came to his home with two black eyes, and he told the police the name of the person whom she claimed gave her those black eyes. 
this occurred in 2013, and she did post pictures of herself in May of 2013 uh, sporting what appeared to be two black eyes, but she said she obtained them accidentally. These pictures were still showing up on her page when she died, but appeared to have since been deleted. I have the screenshots to back this up. Okay, anything else to share? Well, I want to take this time to say thanks to Russ Navarro, uh, who was my consulting producer for this episode. I found out more about the day that Molly went missing, specifically her trip to uh, the FedEx. Uh, Russ spoke to the employee who handled that order. The employee knew Molly quite well since she was a regular and one of the few people who received COD orders. By the way, for our younger listeners, uh, COD means cash on delivery. It's very rare, uh, these sorts of transactions. But per this uh, FedEx employee, Molly came around five that afternoon and was notable for wearing a tank top and flip flops, despite the fact that it was freezing cold that day. She paid for a package and appeared to be in a good mood. That package, of course, was for her crotum. And speaking of uh, the crotum, I often wondered why she spent so much compared to what uh, crotum powder retails for in area stores and on the internet. And I found out she didn't get a powder supplement, but she got a tincture. It was ultra concentrated and a 30 day supply was over $300 a month. So that mystery was cleared up. And Edward Thomas usually paid for this stuff, right? Uh, that's correct. Uh, she borrowed money to uh, she borrowed money from Edward Thomas on quite a few occasions. He often lent or gave her the money, but not this time. It appears that money came from Anson Parker's debit card. And speaking of that purchase, at the time she went missing, a local radio station reported on their website that quote somebody has recently used a credit card in her fiance's name at the Harris Teeter in the Barracks Road Shopping Center to make a purchase over three hundred dollars. And a website called missingadultkids.com went a step further and said, quote, about 30 minutes after she left, Megan's credit card was used to purchase over $300 worth of items. And that is um, cited in context. It called her Megan, not Molly. But anyway... As I recall, that uh, created a lot of confusion and led many to think that she may have been abducted and the card was used by somebody else afterwards. I always wondered who or what put that out there. My understanding is the transaction would have been time stamped. And if anyone had gone to the FedEx, they would have known that she picked up a package that uh, fit that amount. And we both know that uh, Anson Parker and his co-worker, who was the same one who later visited Edward Thomas's house, were there when she got home from running her errands, which included that trip to the FedEx. It's just another piece of the puzzle. And speaking of inaccuracies, there are two things I said in episode one that turned out to be incorrect. One was that Molly Miller was an active counter-protester on August 12th, uh, 2017 in Charlottesville. No, she said she went to a memorial later that day in downtown Charlottesville for murder victor Heather Heyer, but it doesn't appear she was there during the infamous Unite the Right rally. Also, I said that her father, Courtney, died in 1996. He actually died in May uh, 1997 in Charlottesville. It appears Molly spread his ashes in the ocean in Florida in 2010. She posted photos of that. So those were uh, two things that I wanted to clear up. So what's next? 
Well, I still welcome new information about this case. That email account that I set up is still valid. It is missingmollypodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's missingmollypodcast at gmail.com. And this is one of those cases that I have never stopped thinking about since I first heard about it. No matter what you think may have happened to this young woman, it's just so odd. You could almost do an individual series of podcasts on the various people in this case alone. One day, I would really like to talk to the man who literally scaled a cliff to speak to Edward Thomas. If he ever wants to talk, I'm here. Name one and where you want to meet. And lastly, thanks again to everybody who spoke to me or assisted me in the making of this podcast. It really has been a long, strange journey. When I set out to investigate this, I had no idea what I was going to uncover. And all I can say is I completely walked away with a very different impression um, of this town. Thank you for listening to Missing Molly, an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. Opinions expressed have been solely those of the participants. Missing Molly was written and produced by Kimberly Lowe, with engineering and editing from Mike Friend. Original artwork from Natalie Jacobson. Music composed and performed by Sam Whedon. Digital assistance is from John Taylor. With special thanks to Todd Ely, Lori Goodbody, Stephanie Bottoms, Josh Bontrager, Tina Hicks, Courtney Stewart, Lloyd Snook, and Edward Thomas. For more information, you can contact Missing Molly Podcast at gmail.com.